Praise the Lord. Time was 1985, and I was in an area of Indiana where a missionary came to preach that changed my life forever. And it was at that time in my life that I didn't understand really the love of God and the power of God and the mercies of God and the sovereignty of God. But I remembered that one summer in 1985 as my life changed when I surrendered to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I remembered going back to my local high school. We got back from Indiana where my family was from and I ended up you know, going to school and, and the only thing I could think of was I've got to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to every person. I have to be passionate about that calling. I surrendered to it. And for many years, and the Lord just revealed something to me even standing down here, for many years I felt like I was really hard on people and you know, I, I was very black and white. Either you walked with Christ or you ran from Christ. Either you had a relationship with God or you didn't have a relationship with God. Either you were listening to Motley Crue and Def Leppard or you were listening to uh, Michael W. Smith and all these other... You know, I mean, there was always this line. You know, I know I'm from the 80s, as you guys can tell. And uh, But as I was, you know, on my soapbox and I was preaching... One of the things that, that I felt when I reflected back on my earthly life of a teenager and my calling was that I truly exhibit the love of God. And so for many years I, I thought that I put more of an emphasis on, you know, uh, decisions from an outward appearance versus an inward. Then it wasn't until I was just standing down here and as I was worshiping that God said to me, but you have to understand, Todd, I turn my wrath upon those that sin. Yes, people can say, well, remember those old preachers? Remember how they preached? I mean, if you didn't get your heart right, you were dying and you were going to hell. Well, the message is still the same. Nothing has changed. But you see, we've softened the blow... We've softened our message. We've, we've sugar-coated things because we don't want to offend anybody. You know, and there was a time when people would say, you better be careful what you say because people will leave the church. Well, if Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, then we have to speak the truth so that people can have life in Christ. So this morning comes to a, a turning point in my life when I look back, I will not make excuses for the decisions that I made. And yet, I have done that and I've said, well, and I know there were emphasis on areas of, you know, you have to look this way, wear a tie when you're in the pulpit and act this way and look this way. I mean, I wouldn't go to an event in shorts in a million years. And I went to the men's event last night, which I want to thank Pastor Chris and and Russ, thank you guys for putting that together. It was a great time. The spirit was wonderful. And uh, But I'm going in shorts. Amen. Because I realized this, that I looked it up in the Bible and I didn't see anywhere in there that I could not wear shorts. So until I see that, that's different. But I do know that there are things and that we have accepted as believers that are unacceptable in the sight of God. So today, we talk about the wrath of God. The wrath of a loving God as I preach this message. Now listen, the topic I would like to deal with is rarely preached on. 
This is a very surprising because the aspect of God's character is mentioned over hundreds of times in both the Old and New Testament. This subject is so important to study so we can have a correct understanding to not only the gospel, but the nature of God. As you heard me say, we started on the holiness of God, the power of God, and now this week I'm going to talk about, and this sounds bizarre, the anger and hatred of God. And it is politically and religiously incorrect today to talk about a God that is angry and that is full of wrath. It is so much more comfortable to talk about a God of love and a God of forgiveness. My experience has been, as I have shared the gospel with people, is that there are so many people that worship a God of their own imagination, a God of the higher power. People often take one of two extremes in approaching God. One, God is a God of wrath. And two, God is a God of love. There are many that approach the Scriptures as God is a God of wrath, especially the Old Testament, and come away with the belief that the God of the Bible is cruel, He's unloving, and He's harsh. Many make this reason why they just cannot believe in God of the Bible. Many times I hear excuses. People are saying, why would God do this? Why would God do that? Yet we also believe that God is a God of love. More people believe in this God than the first. This God is like a cuddly teddy bear. Or like a grandfather that overlooks the faults of his grandchildren and spoils them to their heart's content, right? This may or may not surprise you. But if one of these two gods are the God you believe in and serve, you are not worshiping the one true God of the Scripture. You are worshiping an idol. Both of these alone are missing something Powerful. They both show a complete ignorance of Scripture and a total misunderstanding about the nature of God. And you cannot pick and choose what you want to believe about God. He is not just a God of wrath. He is not just a God of love. He is both. He is not just a God of wrath. And He is not just a God of love. He is both. Amen. Amen. If you miss one of them, you miss God. If you miss one of them, you miss God. Let's pray. Father, we come to You this morning. Oh God, I honor You for Your sovereignty. Lord, I I honor You that You are all-powerful, all-knowing. And Father, that You're everywhere all the time. And Father, I acknowledge Your holiness. And so, Father, as the prayer says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, as I come to You today, Lord, help me to express and explain the nature of God and understand, Lord, just the the difference between sin and the sinner. Yet, they're both the same. And Lord, how You cannot stand that You loathe sin. And yet we as a church, we as a country, we as a nation and a world have accepted sin as normal. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we proclaim that, Lord, You are truth and there's only life in You. So today, Father, 
We ask that You will turn our hearts towards home, that our face will be focused on You. Lord, that we'll put aside our differences, that we'll put aside our political agendas, that God, we will look into the Scriptures as they are supposed to be taught. Lord, let us allow the Holy Spirit to bear witness within our hearts and our souls. And God, as our heads are bowed and our hearts are receptive to Your Word, that God, we will feel Your presence and that You will be able to reveal things in our own lives, in our own relationship with You that needs to be changed. So God, in our humility, Lord, we pray that You will help us and You'll guide us as we put our faith and trust in You. We know that You're the God of anger, and that you, you turn your face and Lord, there is, there is judgment, yet there is accountability when it comes to sin in our lives. And so God, I'm not dismissing that here in this pulpit today. Lord, this is your church. This is your bride. And so Lord, I honor your church today. I honor your bride. And Lord, I pray that you'll speak through me. Hide me behind the cross. Help me to be in your shadows. Lord, let me be just a mouthpiece to glorify Your Word. In Your holy name we pray. Amen. a minor shift or two with regard to a few of our ethical and moral and religious values. The cross radically disrupts the very center and citadel of your life from self to Christ. And if the cross has not done that, 
So many people want to believe in a loving God that is comfortable for them, that will allow them to do whatever they want. They want to believe that they can live wicked and evil lives, and then at the end be allowed to enter the presence of God in heaven. But God cannot just let sinners into heaven. This would compromise His holiness. Now watch, these people that ignore the wrath and anger of God are in store for a very rude awakening on the day of judgment. A wrath-filled awakening. And I want to give you a warning this morning. I want to give you a warning right now. You may hear things in this lesson that may be uncomfortable for some of you to hear. You may hear things that are different from what you believe about God. You may hear things that are completely new to you. But the Bible is so clear that God is a God who is full of anger, hatred, indignation, and wrath. He has spoken of His abhorring things and viewing things as an abomination. And all of these terms describe His anger. Now you're saying, but pastor, this sounds, wow, that's awfully harsh. But I want to open up the Scriptures and I want to show you from the Scriptures exactly what I've read and, and where the journey has been from the Old Testament into the New. And here are some examples as we look here in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 27. But before we get to there, what just happened to me? Is that better? Something just happened. That's right. Well, I'm going to keep preaching, amen? Well, let's just keep going. 
And if I have to, I'm grabbing my cordless mic like I am right now. Get behind me, Satan. And if I have to, I'll preach without it. I'll sound like the guy on the video. Amen? We'll let you know. You haven't seen that part of your pastor, but it will come out. Here's what it says. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 30, verse 27. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 27. And it says this, The nature of God, the power of God... See, the name of the Lord comes from afar with burning anger and dense clouds of smoke. His lips are full of wrath and His tongue is a consuming fire. And then in Jeremiah chapter 21, verse 5, you can either follow me through your Bible or you can follow me on the screen. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm in furious anger and in great wrath. I love it. It says, I myself will war against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm, even in anger and wrath and great indignation. In Nahum chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Who can withstand His indignation? Who can endure His fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before Him. And in Isaiah chapter 34, verse 2, For the Lord's indignation is against all nations, and His wrath is against all their armies. He will totally destroy them. He will give them over to slaughter. And then in Psalm 7, verse 11, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. God who displays His wrath every day. What is indignation? What does that mean? Indignation is an anger that is aroused by something unjust, unrighteous. I could go on and on showing that God is an angry God. He is full of wrath and hatred. Do you understand that there are over 200 references I could give you in the Old Testament to show you the anger, the wrath, and the hatred of God? And yes, you may be saying to yourselves, Yes, you are right, but all of the verses that you mentioned are in the Old Testament. Does that even mean anything to me? God is different in the New Testament. Well, I must inform you that God is the same in the New Testament. He is an angry and just God. He is full of wrath. But where, Pastor? Well, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says this, but the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And then Romans chapter 2 verses 5 through 9 it reads, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are strong up with Storing up with wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds which will repay each person according to what they have done to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew. And then 
for the Gentile, then for the Greek. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, and it reads this, and give relief to you who are troubled. And to us as well, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Amazing. God's wrath, God's indignation or anger is mentioned over 40 times in the New Testament. Interesting, isn't it? Anger and wrath towards who? Anger and wrath towards who? That's a question for you this morning. You have probably heard the popular cliché that God hates the sin and yet He loves the sinner. And I've said that, but I really truly believe, and I want you to listen, there is a problem with this statement. It is. Usually not biblical the way we normally hear it used. It is true that God hates sin. Sin makes Him angry. And it is true that God has displayed His love towards sinners and offers it to all. But the Scripture takes God's hatred towards sin a step farther than most tend to do. The Bible says that God not only hates sin, but also sinners. Many of the verses I have read have already showed this. And if you were paying close attention, His hatred and wrath is on people. Not just towards their sin. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? It's hard to separate the two. It's very difficult to separate the two. And it says in Psalms chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. In Psalms chapter 5, verses 4 through 6, it says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors disgust. He hates the man of bloodshed and deceit. Listen, church, we have a cry. It is important that we understand the nature of God. And we have flirted with sin for too many years. People say, I will not go to a church that preaches the gospel. Well, what kind of church do you want to go to? Because in my Bible, and it says in Ephesians, that Jesus Christ is the bride. And we are the church. We are the community. We are the believers. We have a message to share. And if we're ever going to be a light, we've got to tell people about the wrath of God and understand we must stop flirting with sin. Let go and let God take full control in your life. Oh, it's been so easy for us. This is not an easy message. My son-in-law looked at me down here and he said, you looked angry when you said that in the very beginning. I said, well, I wonder just the passion and the love that God has for mankind. That He went to a place of humanity to understand the depth of love, yet the depth of sin, and to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, yet we know what we do. 
Yet we live our life and we continue to bow the knee to a world of chaos because we don't believe in the Word. And I know that Jesus Christ is real. It's very hard for me sometimes to preach on messages. Yes, I can be your, your pastor that's pouring into your life, that's preaching a message that's saying, I know that you're a victor, you're not a victim. Yet, we understand that we are a victim because Satan is out to kill and to destroy us. He's like a rolling lion seeking about whom he may devour. We have to be a church that brings people to Jesus Christ. We have a message to share. That's God. God loves us. And He wants us to stand on the side of righteousness. Realize that God does hate the sin. But also the sinner. And when we sin, we make ourselves the enemy of God. Look at the words in the verse again. You know, you hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those. Here it's said in Psalms, you destroy those who speak falsehood, that speak lies. The Lord abhors, He turns His face on the man of bloodshed and deceit. If hate is too strong a word for you, how about abhors? There's a little King James Version for you. Fourteen times in the first 50 Psalms alone, we see God's hatred for the sinner. And then in John 3, the text that is mentioned most to show the love of God, we see one of the most neglected verses about the wrath of God. It says in verse 36 of John chapter 3. Verse 36, here's what it says. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life. The wrath of God abides on the sinner, on the one who does not obey the gospel. And we need to understand something here. That when God killed someone in the Bible or sent someone to hell, He is not just punishing sin, He is punishing the sinner. We understand that in Genesis chapter 6, we understand the flood. God gave a warning. He told them, you wicked nation, turn your hearts towards home. Why was it that just Noah... Noah was the only guy there and he got a hold of his family because he had a relationship with his family and they trusted him. And yet God's judgment and wrath came upon the world because they would not what? Turn their hearts towards home. Sodom and Gomorrah, the world was in a very sinful place, much like Genesis chapter 6 of the flood. Woo! I often call this place like Sodom and Gomorrah. We have taken matters literally in our own hands. I found out this week that everybody has to have a pronoun, a noun, or whatever that is. I am, I am totally in shock over this. How do you want to be described? A he, she, it, they, them, though, they, are we, um, us. However, listen to me, church. In the beginning, God created. And I want to refer, be referred to as Todd, a man. See, we'll sit back and nobody wants to say anything. Because, see, if you say something on fake book, they're going to unfriend you. Because you know what? They were your friend. They were your best friend because they hearted what you said 14 times in the last year. 
And you know what? I thought it was really interesting because the other day when I saw them at the restaurant, they hearted 14 times, but they didn't even get up and walk over and say hi to me. I thought they were my friend. I was waiting for them to pay for my meal, but that didn't happen either. I thought we were friends. But you see, that's why I call it fake book, because I really do believe that people just like things and scroll down through them and say whatever they want to say, because it's so easy to do that. But let me ask you a question. How about you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody? How about you be bold with somebody and say, you know what? We all live a life that's full of sinful people in a sinful world, and yet God still reigns supreme. And He still sits on the throne. And at the end of the day, we all have an accountability to God the Father. You know, in that song, it was amazing to me. Hallelujah, here below. I thought it was real interesting because it said that there were 10,000 angels around His throne. 10,000 angels. That's amazing to me. Worshipping Him. Proclaiming His majesty. Understanding that He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. But He has 10,000 angels. And yet He could have called 10,000 angels to take Him down from the cross. And He didn't. Because He understood sin. And He understood our unrighteousness. We have a responsibility. And yet... We saw that even Lot's wife, man, she understood, she saw they experienced the glory of God. Yet they lived in a place that was much like America, much like this world, where things are, it's just total chaos. And all he said to her is, listen, keep your face focused on me. She couldn't help herself. So the pleasures of life, she couldn't help but to turn back around because, see, that fulfilled the lust of her flesh. And it said that Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. Boom! Gone. And you're telling me that God is love? Well, listen, Mr. President. I'm here to tell you that God is the royal king. And when he shows his love on this world, we're all going to see it. Isn't it great to be a part of this? Think about this. We're all a part of it. The question is, are you Lot's wife? Are you Lot? Are you Lot and his daughters where they just said, we're out of here, man. We can't even look at Sodom and Gomorrah. And she was like, man, it was so cool back there, man. It was the life. That's what sin does to you. Oh, I've had people tell me there's nothing greater than partying. I mean, do you ever notice on TV? Think about this. When you're on TV, man, they are just partying it up. They make it look so much fun. I mean, everybody's just, you know, they're slopping their, their drink all over the place and they're laughing and they're just having the time of their, there is joy. I've heard people to say this. Man, serving the Lord, this is rough. Well, stay in it long enough and you'll start to see his reward for your decision. You'll start to see provision for your decision. And I'm here to prove to you that I have seen God blessed and I'm not making an excuse for it. I know how good our God is. I know what He does. Then there was the destruction of Jerusalem. Judgment of the nations. Oh, pastor, but that's back in the Old Testament. Well, let me tell you about Acts chapter 5. There's Ananias and Sapphira. Now I look back on, on the Old Testament, I always say the world was a very sinful place. And then I look at Ananias and Sapphira and I said, well, their heart was in a sinful place. 
God gave him a great responsibility. He said, listen, I'm going to trust you with this treasure. What are you going to do with it? Ananias lied, uh, Sapphira lied. They both were killed immediately. Have you ever taken the Lord's Supper? And have you ever heard the pastor say, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 37, 31 through 37, and I've said it here, and this is why I'm saying it to you, don't take of this cup unworthily. The Bible says to examine your heart as you take of this cup and of this bread. See, what Jesus was telling the disciples was this. Do you understand that I understand I and my Father are one, but, but let me explain something to you. We cannot flirt with sin any longer. And as you take this, you need to ask God for forgiveness. You need to confess your sins before God and your unrighteousness. And then you need to get your heart right with God. Because listen, I am 51 years old, and I've now, I've now hit that, that other side. I'm 51, and if God lets me live to be 100, that's really old. Uh, take me home, Lord. Don't torture me like that. But if I get to live to be 90 and I'm healthy, I've already, I've already reached half, past that half point, right? Listen, I want to have a closer relationship with Jesus than I've ever had. I want to have a relationship with God right now more than I ever have. And I believe I have a message to share with everybody. When you go to take of the cup and you break that bread, Jesus was, he meant business when he said this. Check your heart out. Check your motive out. And even says there in the scripture, don't even take it if you're hungry. And then we can go to Revelations and Second Thessalonians, but I won't do that for sake of time. But the destruction of the church is persecutors. God will not throw sin into hell, but he'll throw the sinner into hell. God hates and abhors sin. He hates sin so much that he's not only dead set against sin, but also against sinners. His holy hatred and wrath is against all who reject him. And all those who will not obey the gospel. And even... We who claim to be Christians are not exempt from the anger and wrath of God We, if we continue to sin. If we continue to sin. Listen, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 31, it says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. Now watch. Here's where the day of reckoning and accountability comes. Are you ready, church? You are here today for a reason. And I want you to do a little heart check. Watch what it says here. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know Him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Woo! Just because we are Christians does not mean that God will not judge us. If you are living in sin that you are unwilling to repent of, this text teaches that the only hope you have is the fury of fire that will consume the enemies of God. 
Wow. What a powerful message. What a, what a moment of, of conviction. I know I've gone through, but then I'm, I'm reminded what Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 says. And I love this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that awesome? If God was willing to trush his only crush, trush, God was willing to crush his only begotten son. Don't assume he wouldn't be willing to do the same with us if we are trampling underfoot what Jesus did for us and insulting the Spirit of God. I'm going to say this as I close. This is the greatest part about the message. What about God's love? What about God's love? You may be asking this question as I have been going through all of these passages. The talk about the hatred and wrath of God towards sin and sinners. What about the love of God, preacher? How can we have so many verses that talk about God's hatred towards sinners when there are so many verses about His love for the lost? In both the Old and the New Testaments, there are numerous verses that talk about the love of God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world. Psalms 5, 7, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. God is love. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love toward us. And while we were sinners, what? Christ died for us. So how can this be? There seems to be a contradiction here, preacher. How can God both be a God of wrath and hatred towards sinners and loving rebellion At the same time, let me say this again. And how God both can be a God of wrath and hatred towards sinners while loving sinners at the same time. This, my brothers and sisters, is one of the central questions of the Bible. And let me tell you what it is. It's simple. The answer is the cross. The answer is the cross. God is perfect. God is holy. God is sovereign. We learn that He's powerful. And because of this, we deserve to be destroyed by Him. He should crush us. He should kill everyone for their rebellion against Him. He should give all of us a one-way ticket to the eternal fires of hell and flames of hell. But praise God. Praise God for His long-suffering and mercy. Praise God that He offers us a way to escape having to experience the fullness of His wrath due to sinners. The cross, and only the cross, can save us. Isn't that a good thought? Praise the Lord. Pretty much every verse in the New Testament that deals with the love of God, the love we need to have towards others is tied to the cross. So listen, church. We deserve to drink the full cup of God's wrath for sin. But Jesus' sacrifice makes it so we don't have to. Do you hear what I'm saying? We deserve to drink the full cup of God's wrath for sin. But you see, Jesus' sacrifice makes it so we don't have to. 
The cross saves. But what does it save us from? The answer to that question is not what we are saved from sin. Christians are saved from the wrath of God. God saves us from himself. In Romans 5, 9, it says this. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Wow. Isn't that amazing? And then it says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Yes, his name is Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. God's wrath towards sinners can be escaped because Christ's atonement on the cross. That's why. Instead of being the enemies of God, we can be at peace with God. The New Testament word for this concept is called propitiation. It's a deep theological King James Version word. Propitiation. John 2.2 said, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. He himself became sin for the whole world. Where in the world did that verse come from? I looked up and read it and I'm like, Jesus is our propitiation. He is God's atoning sacrifice that reconciles sinners with himself. He puts aside his wrath and gives mercy to those who are cleansed by the blood of Christ. I could probably give you 50 more scriptures. Have we had a lot of the word this morning? Do we understand God's wrath, yet we understand his love and we understand his mercy? And it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 23, and then we'll go ahead and close. But for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in minds doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If I indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is what Paul had to say. He said, then, you can become a Christian. You're my servant. So now I don't preach this lesson to scare you into doing what is right. But here's what we need to remember. Who this God is that we claim to serve. How many of you with a raised hand believe that he is a holy God, a jealous God, a just God, a sovereign God, and he is God? And he should be feared. Amen? Not just respected, but feared. I think one of the hardest things for for a pastor is to really stop and preach on the nature of God and just the, the passion and conviction that comes in my own life, understanding my position. But I also preach this lesson so we can see that there are two very important things. Studying about God should give us a wake-up call to take sin seriously in our lives. And then two, we need to understand the end for those who do not obey the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to close with this question. 
And I want you to think about this. Have you been reconciled with God? Have you been reconciled with God? If you've not obeyed the gospel, Jesus teach, teaches. Here's what he teaches and here's what he says. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He can be saved from the wrath of God today. I go back to that the pivotal point in my life. I'm 15 years old. I never wanted to offend anybody. I even hate confrontation. I hate conflict. I don't like it at all. If you like it, bless you. But I don't. But I will approach it if I need to. And I will call sin out for what it is and I will, will address the issue. But I stand up here humbled, yet I stand up here honored to know that I have the power of God and that He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. So today, church, what have you been going through? Oh, it was easy to talk about that He was holy. Oh, it's easy to take on that He's a powerful God and I can walk in His power and His glory. But church, I'm going to ask you this. Do you understand that He does not like sin? And I understand that Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary to free us from that. Listen, your sin is no different than mine. We're all sinners saved by God's grace. For all of sin, it comes short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, There's none righteous, no, not one. There isn't anybody that's righteous before God. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we all now have access to our Savior. And I'm grateful for that. But church, I'm here to tell you, run, run, run from sin. Let the glory of the Lord rise above us, as the song says. And you need to turn your face to the wicked sin of this world and to stand tall, even if you stand alone. I've been there. And it's hard for a pastor as well, because today I thought I'm going to stand alone up here. Do people look at God that way? Oh, but you're a hateful God. No, I'm not your downtown Chicago City soapbox preacher damning everybody to hell. That is not the pastor that I am. I am a pastor that preaches truth. But I want your hearts to be changed. He even told the children of Israel, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, forgive their sins, forgive their sins, and I'll heal their land. Let us stand. Let's pray. God, we thank you today that we're able to talk about your nature. Lord, we thank, we're thankful that, Lord, we understand that we can't continue to live in sin. I, I know even in the New Testament it says grace abounds and we know that's unmerited favor and we know that you love us and you sent Jesus. You came down in the form of man. And God, I, I honor that and I recognize that today. But God, I, I just want to talk to you about the choices that this world has made to accept changing a gender because we think we have the right to do such, Lord, is an abomination. Oh God, bring back the holiness of the Father back to this world. God, bring back the holiness to the church and to the pulpit.
Lord, that pastors would continue to embrace the love of Christ, yet understand the judgment of God. And yet, Lord, we just continue to think that it's okay to live a life of sin because we've been taught that you love sinners. We know that you love. You said for God so love the world, but you didn't say that you accept the sin that we live in. So God, there's some in this room that have been flirting with sin, that have been been just bathed in it, and they continue to just think it's okay and it's acceptable. And God, today, it's I know that as I studied this, that your your face is turned away from it, yet you still hold us accountable, and we are we are judged upon such things. So God, we thank you for your love, we thank you for your grace, we thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, I know that it's for by grace we're saved through faith that not of, your, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not of works. Lest any of us should brag or boast about it. Lord, I know what, what Paul was saying in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, I, I come to you today to understand that you are holy. And God, forgive me for always being so mindful about the time and thinking I've got somewhere to go or something to do, Lord, when I need to be like the 10,000 angels that are around your throne worshiping you that aren't worried about time. Their job is to sing your praises. So God, today, in my sinfulness, accept me. Please forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And God, help this church to continue to be a light, to exhibit the nature of God and to understand, Lord, what our roles are. Yes, you are a God of love. But you're also a God of accountability and judgment. Change us, Lord. Reshape us, Lord. Remake us. You said in your word, Verily, verily, I say to thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and I want every head bowed, every eye closed in here in the room, Today I just feel, if there's somebody in here that really needs prayer, would you just lift up your hand? Let me, let me remember this this week. Amen, 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 amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. God, in the name of Jesus, we ask for your deliverance. Lord, help deliverance to take place. Bring those loved ones back to your, to your arms. Lift them up. Lord, we know that, that, Lord, in this life, in this world, we will have troubles and tribulations. But God, you said, be of good cheer. You've overcome the world. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you'll deliver them. Lord, I pray the blood of Jesus upon them. Lord, the struggle's real. We live in a world of, of choices that are so pleasurable to our flesh. The lust of the flesh and the pride of life just are like magnets and they pull us in. But God, today, we just ask that you will will right now do a work of deliverance. Help us to come back to your holiness. God, we love you. We praise you in your holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.